Hello and welcome to this new edition of the IFS Zooms In. I'm Paul Johnson and today we're going to be talking about a type of inequality that has increasingly come to the fore in recent years. This isn't an inequality between different population groups, between the rich and the poor, the young and the old, different ethnic groups. It's about inequalities between people living in different places. Even prior to the current crisis, there was a sense that the UK is not only a highly geographically unequal country, but also an increasingly geographically unequal one. And such concerns matter politically. The Johnson government has made levelling up the economy and living standards and life chances across the country a mantra and has announced a review of guidance for infrastructure investment aimed at increasing the amounts going to the Midlands and the north of England. But just how geographically unequal is the UK? Is it true that these inequalities have been getting worse? Are there particular regions or types of places that have been doing particularly well or poorly? And what risks of widening and opportunities for narrowing these gaps might the COVID-19 crisis bring? Well, to help me answer those questions, I'm joined by IFS Associate Director David Phillips, who's worked extensively on issues of regional and geographical inequality, uh, funding of local councils, and the degree of inequality across England, and has recently published a report on just that issue. So, David, perhaps we could start just by exploring the question uh, of just how unequal geographically England, and we're focusing really on England here rather than the UK as a whole, how, how unequal is England if you look at uh, incomes to start with? Well, if you look at incomes, it really depends which part of the income distribution you're looking at and what measure of income you're looking at. So if we look at, for example, um, incomes uh, before housing costs, we look at wages, especially at the top of the distribution, we see really quite big differences uh, in different parts of the country. Um, Mean earnings for Londoners are about 30% higher than the national average. Um, They're more than 50% higher than people in the northeast of England and in Wales. So on this sort of measure, you know, one of the kind of immediate measures that comes to mind, we look like a really very geographically unequal country. But then when you take account of the fact that actually a lot of these differences are driven by what's happening towards the top of the distribution, and therefore, if you look towards the middle of the distribution, the median, the gaps are somewhat narrower, uh, about a third of a difference between London and the Northeast, for example. Then you've got the impact of the tax and benefit system, which redistributes from richer people to poorer people, and hence from richer regions to poorer regions. And then there's different costs of living in different parts of the country. So housing costs are much higher in areas with higher wages like London and the southeast of England. When you look at all those, when you look at median after housing costs income, the gaps are much, much narrower. And London, for example, median household income after housing costs is just 1% higher than the national average and about uh, 5, 6, 7% higher than uh, in areas of the north of England and Wales, which we traditionally think of as being you know, much poorer regions. So depending on the measure you look at, we can either look very unequal geographically or um, you know, much less unequal. That's very, uh, that's very striking what you say at the end there, that if you're looking at median income, so the income of the person in the middle of the distribution, and you take account of housing costs, Londoners are essentially no better off 
than people in the rest of the country. And yet we uh, have this continued mantra, as it were, that, uh, that there is this huge inequality between regions with London right at the top. And I think what you're saying is that, that, that it is true that there are a lot of very high-paid people in London, which drags the overall average up. But if you're looking at the median, or if you're indeed if you're looking below that, uh, there's not so much difference at all, really, in living standards for the average Londoner and living standards for the average person outside of London. I think that's true. And if you look further down the distribution, what you actually see is London has the highest rates of poverty. So one of the things that really stands out for the capital is not only has it got you know, the most people with the highest incomes. So, for example, being in the top 10% of earners in London, you need to earn more than £85,000 a year. It's just £50,000 to be in the top 10% in Wales, Northern Ireland and the North East. London's got concentration of the rich, but it's also got a big concentration of poor people as well. Uh, the after housing cost poverty rate in London is 28%. That's far higher than any of the other regions of the UK. Um, the North East is 24, Wales is 23. Northern Ireland actually has the lowest rate of poverty in the UK. So we see quite different things happening at the top of the distribution and at the bottom of the distribution. And I think that relates to, you know, two of the big driving forces behind regional inequalities in the UK. One is productivity. High productivity firms, high paid jobs are very geographically concentrated in London, its surroundings and a few big cities. But also housing costs, another big driver of the big differences in housing the market, um, where um, rents, mortgage payments are much higher in London. But also, if you're on the property market and you've been on there for a few years, you've also done a lot better as well. So big differences across the country in the numbers of really high earners. High earners are concentrated in London and the southeast much more than they are in the rest of the country. But if you look at the the mass of people, as it were, the sort of the, the people around the middle or indeed towards the bottom of the distribution, the country looks much more similar. And I suppose that sort of um, suggests that this focus on regional inequality, I mean, does that mean that you essentially need to get more rich people uh, in the rest of the country? Um, and that would meet the regional, the reduction in regional inequality targets the government has, rather than dragging, uh, dragging up the poorest. Well, I think there's a kind of a political choice there, right? Clearly, we do care about poverty. And um, poverty is higher in the north of England than it is in the south outside of London. Um, so you may still want to be you know, taking action to improve the skills, improve the life chances of people in poverty, um, especially in the north and the Midlands, but all over the country. But where the big gaps are between uh, London and between, say, for example, um, you know, Teesside or Tyneside or Blackpool is, is really the lack of high paid um, jobs in those areas. Um, and I think if we want to sort of tackle, if you like, um, the, uh, the sort of headline figures on regional income inequalities, regional, uh, you know, gross domestic product, it will be actually boosting those high paid uh, jobs and getting those areas to be more attractive to high skilled companies, high skilled workers, high paid workers, high education workers. I think that will be um, where you will see the real narrowing in these headline figures that we, we often talk about productivity and, and gross value added and earnings. 
Well, we might come back, well, we will come back to questions of how on earth you might uh, achieve that. Um, what you're talking about there, I suppose, is is levelling up across the um, across the country. Um, but the, I mean, the message we're getting so far is that uh, high earners are concentrated in London and the surrounding surrounding areas, uh, but low earners are everywhere um, uh, in London, just as much as, if not more than, uh, in other parts of the country. But what about how this has changed over time? One has the strong impression, particularly given the political focus on this, that geographical inequalities are not only big when you look at average earnings, but they've been increasing over time. Is that right? Well, again, it depends on what you look at. So if you look at earnings and household incomes, if anything, geographical inequalities have been falling uh, since the turn of the millennium. So both uh, median and mean full-time earnings have increased by less in London than they have in the rest of the country. And in fact, you know, they've increased most in, in Scotland and the northeast. Uh, where where wages uh, lagged, um, well, and still lag, but where they kind of lagged the most. Um, so looking at earnings, you know, we've seen this sort of somewhat narrowing. And if you actually drill down to the local authority level to look at more, you know, you know, localised patterns, we see that same slight narrowing in of uh, earnings inequalities. Uh, look to household incomes, and we see a similar trend. We see household incomes in London and the southeast growing less quickly the national average uh, in the northeast, Wales, Scotland, um, southwest of England grow more quickly than the average. So, looking at incomes, we definitely see this this slight, slight uh, but but notable reduction um, in inequalities over time, which contrasts, I think, very much um, with with sort of the picture people have in their minds. And that's driven, isn't it? I, I think by two things. One is the Loss of incomes right at the top following the financial crisis, and that's particularly affecting London, and increases in minimum wages, which have been particularly worthwhile because there are more minimum wage workers uh, outside of London, in particular in the poorer regions. Are those the two key drivers to that surprise of that su- somewhat surprising result? So those are definitely two drivers of that of that surprising result on the earnings um, and on the before housing costs income measures, but also. Uh, it's, it's changes in housing costs um, that have also contributed to that when you look at after housing cost income. Um, uh, far more Londoners uh, rent than uh, people in the rest of the country, so therefore they haven't benefited from the falls in uh, mortgage uh, costs You know when interest rates were cut. And also, for those who are renting, uh, rents have gone up substantially more in London uh, than they have uh, in the rest of the country, sort of um, well over 40%. Uh, since the mid 2000s in London, compared to less than 20% in the Northeast, for example. So I think there's kind of several factors there. Yeah, one is on the labour market side, where you know, the, the falls you saw at the very top, you know, the financial services industry, uh, earnings they have not recovered to the same extent as in the wider economy, and the minimum wage has pushed up wages more outside of London. But also the housing market is still having this, having this effect. Uh, not only does it, you know, drag down incomes in London. It's been increasingly dragging down incomes in London over time. So that's um, that, that, that's what's been happening to incomes and earnings. But I think you see a different picture when you look at inequalities in wealth across regions. Yes, the same housing market trends that have been dragging down income, if you like, have been pushing up wealth in London and hence pushing up uh, wealth inequalities. 
So our data for wealth, unfortunately, doesn't go back quite as far. Um, but information from the Wealth and Assets Survey suggests that uh, property and uh, financial wealth of London households has increased by an average of 150% uh, over the last 10 years or so, driven by a very strong housing market. Um, but on the other hand, in the northeast of England, has barely increased at all. So whilst we're seeing this narrowing or slight narrowing of income and earnings inequalities, we're seeing substantially growing inequality in, in wealth. And I think that is kind of important because I think it's less that um, inequalities in living standards uh, have been uh, increasing on a geographical level. But I think inequalities, if you like, in terms of security, in terms of opportunity, have been growing. Uh, wealth provides, of course, you know, security, and it provides opportunity for you to you know, move and, and, and potentially take some risks. And we also see other forms of opportunity seeming to increase more in, in London, um, or increase in London and the southeast relative to the rest of the country. Uh, educational performance, for example, is, is much higher in London now than it was um, uh, 20 years ago. Let's come on to the education in a, in a second. I just want to ask one more question about the wealth, because it's very striking the two things that you've said. One is that many more Londoners rent, and therefore they've lost out because rental costs have gone up. And yet you're also um, finding that uh, wealth in London has gone up a lot more than elsewhere because house prices have gone up. That presumably means that wealth inequality in London must have risen quite dramatically because we've got lots of people with no housing wealth and lots with very large amounts of, of housing wealth. Is that is that a fair description? Uh, yes, the figures I've looked at don't actually give that level of detail, but I think that's the natural consequence of those two things. When you have a you know large proportion of the population off the housing market in London. And, you know, um, you know, basically 50-50, 50% of people in London uh, are homeowners, 50% are renters. When you see increases in property prices and increases in rents, you get the, the homeowners see their, their, their wealth go up significantly. The renters don't benefit from that. So the, the issues with the housing market uh, are not only driving increases in inequalities in wealth between regions, but also, I think, you know, increases inequality within regions as well, and especially within London. And it's worth it's worth um, uh, saying, and it's something that I, I, I always try to um, make clear in these conversations about housing wealth and renting, which is, of course, the people who are renting are renting from somebody else. And very often that somebody else is um, you know, in London, probably they own their own house in London, plus one or two properties to rent out. And if we're looking uh, through a different angle, if we're looking through a sort of um, generational angle, it's often the case the younger generation is renting from the older generation. So this increase in renting hasn't reduced overall wealth, but it has concentrated wealth among those who are already uh, who are already owners. And that's, uh, that's clearly been a, a trend to some extent across the country, but particularly in London. Uh, you were, David, coming on to this other, I think, fascinating aspect of um, of the report that you did on inequality, which was which was looking at these remarkable uh, changes in in educational performance and relative educational performance across the country, where I think you find that London uh, really has pulled way away from everywhere else. Yes. So 
we look at the proportion of um, young people that go on to university uh, by the age of um, 19. And that really strikingly uh, is higher in London, especially for children on uh, free school meals. So if you look in inner London, for example, almost half of children on free school meals, 48%, uh, go on to higher education uh, by the age of 19. Uh, that compares to just 19% uh, in the east of England and the northeast of England, and 18% in the southeast and southwest. So, you know, two and a half times uh, the share of children on free school meals go on to higher education in inner London um, is more than two times uh, in outer London than they do in most of the rest of the country. It's worth pausing on that because that's an absolutely astonishing statistic. 48% of children in London on free school meals go on to university. That's more, isn't it, than the average for all children across the rest of the country? Yes. Uh, the 48% is higher than in any... Uh, well, it's, it's higher than the share of non-free school um, uh, meals children in any other region of the country outside of London. Extraordinary. I mean, absolutely extraordinary. Yes. I think, you know, there could be several factors that, you know, drive this. You know, one of them potentially is that a much higher share of children in London are from ethnic minorities. And we do know that, you know, especially conditional upon income, ethnic minority children do much better uh, in school now. Um, it could also relate maybe to um, the opportunities that people see around them. So potentially, you know, if you're in London, you see lots of high paid jobs. Uh, maybe you have greater aspirations or your family have greater aspirations for you than if you live uh, in, you know, a remote region, you know, many miles from where those high paid jobs are. Uh, we don't know exactly what's driving this, but I think it's a really important uh, thing to, uh, to look into in more detail. And um, and presumably also uh, maybe points the way to uh, the key ingredient to levelling up over the long run, which may well be at least as much, as, if not more, to do with education as it is to do with infrastructure. Is that a fair sort of conclusion to draw from that? Well, I think, you know, if you kind of take all the findings, you know, uh, from the various bits you've looked at, you know, living standards aren't becoming more unequal after housing costs actually doesn't look like a especially geographically unequal country. But where we do look increasingly unequal is on wealth, but also in terms of um, educational outcomes, if you like security and opportunity. So I think that, you know, given we know um, education is a key determinant of, of people's, you know, outcomes, um, we know that productivity is a key determinant of people's outcomes. I think focusing on 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 the long term drivers of productivity, education being one of them, must be a key part of of, of tackling, you know, the the inequalities that are there now, and actually could grow. You know, with these big differences in in wealth and education, could we actually, if we haven't seen these, you know, if the last few years have seen declines in income inequality, could that go into reverse if we're not careful, given the the, the really the really stark differences? in educational outcomes. Do, do any other cities um, follow London in this? Is this really just a London effect or is there, is there any other sort of big city effect? Well, in terms of education, 
you do see some evidence that in other um, areas where there are big cities and uh, large ethnic minority populations, uh, performance, especially amongst children with free school meal status, is better than average. So you see that to some extent in the West Midlands, around Birmingham, and you see that to some extent uh, around Greater Manchester in the Northwest. But the London effect, you know, far strips uh, the effects uh, we, we see, see there on education. If you look broader than education, if you look at, for example, access to high paid jobs or productivity, London really does stand out among above all other large cities uh, in the UK. You know, productivity in Greater Manchester and, uh, you know, Birmingham is below the national average. So it's not a case of, you know, cities versus towns. Um, you know, when it comes to education and, and to productivity, it's a case of London and its environs versus the rest. So, you know, there still is a divide between London and the rest of the country. It's just not a divide in living standards. It's a divide in productivity, opportunity and wealth. And is that typical across the world? If one looks at world cities, that's so-called, I mean, the, the, the biggest cities in, in the US, in France and so on, do they have that same sort of standout? Does Paris stand out like London stand out? Does New York stand out like London stands out within those individual countries? So it depends on the countries you look at. So certainly in France, Paris does stand out in terms of its productivity uh, compared to the rest of the country. Um, in the US, uh, New York stands out as having very high productivity, but there are other areas with very high productivity in the US as well. For example, the San Francisco Bay Area or Seattle or around Washington, D.C. And then some other countries, you see much narrower uh, geographical inequalities uh, between regions, you know, the Scandinavian countries, Netherlands, Germany, Austria. Um, I should say I haven't looked at educational outcomes and how they vary or household incomes and how, how they vary between regions of, of countries. Um, so we're not unique uh, in the sense of having a capital city that's you know doing very well on productivity, but we're also you know part of a, a group of countries that's not representative of all countries. There are the countries where you know you don't don't see the same patterns for productivity at least. I haven't looked for education and household incomes. So we're we're having this conversation in the um, you know during the COVID um, pandemic. Um, it's uh, uh, the future may look very different. Um, is, can one speculate at all about the impact of the current crisis on the kinds of geographical inequalities we've been talking about? I mean, starting perhaps with this issue of productivity. People have certainly speculated that, you know, if we can, people working in central London don't actually need to be there physically, then maybe that will change everything. I think they are kind of, you know, both risks and potential opportunities with the COVID-19 crisis um, when it comes to geographical inequalities. Um, at least the evidence so far on what's happened to unemployment, uh, what's happened uh, to uh, furlough, is that some of those more peripheral areas of the country, especially on the kind of coasts, uh, they've seen, you know, some of the biggest increases in unemployment, some of the biggest increases in uh, people, you know, uh, furloughed. Um, because they're reliant on some of the industries that have shut down uh, or were shut down for a significant uh, period of time. So how industries like hospitality um, uh, recover will matter a lot. Some of those coastal areas, 
uh, that even in the south of England often have productivity and earnings and actually educational outcomes uh, that that lag the national average. Um, so there, there could be risks if we see a sustained, you know, um, uh, tail off in 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 the hospitality industry. Um, also, changes in the high street. You know, traditionally, uh, high streets in more deprived areas have struggled more to repurpose themselves. And one of the ways in which they have is to have more restaurants and bars, which, again, have also been struggling recently. So there's risks that we could widen some of the geographic inequalities um, uh, if recovery uh, is, is uneven. But at the same time, there are, I think, opportunities like the one you just mentioned there. Uh, I think what we've shown in the crisis is, is that for at least many white collar workers, working from home uh, is possible. We've seen big increases in the proportion of people working from home. We've seen increases in in the productivity of working from home, you know, with uh, new technology. If that actually leads to you know a sustained change in working arrangements, not necessarily working at home full time, but you know working at from home two, three days a week, or going to the office a few days a month, then it might become you know easier to live further away from London, to live further away from you know other you know, major cities and commute in for those periods. That could open up opportunities for higher paid, higher productivity jobs to people living elsewhere in the country. That wouldn't just narrow income inequalities, that could actually narrow some of the wealth inequalities we've seen go as well. Because if people can live further away, uh, you'd expect, you know, house prices in those further away areas to increase a bit, house prices in London to come down a bit. So yes, if this is a sustained change in how people are working, it could actually lead uh, to um, uh, some narrowing of these differences. The areas I expect to do well are basically, you know, nice areas to live that are far away from uh, from 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 London and from other major cities. It's probably less likely to help, you know, areas that people don't want to live in anyway. I guess that's um, that that that's often true, but is 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 a really fascinating period now, isn't it? I mean, we could see possibly the biggest changes in generations to the, um, if not the sort of formal location of economic activity, at least to the location of the people carrying out that economic um, activity. And as you say, that could then have really big knock-on effects to things like property wealth and um, you know, and actually the value of some of our infrastructure if it doesn't get used um, anywhere near so much, whether that be office blocks or or train lines into central London, but let's um, let's not focus on that. That's uh, that's an issue for an entirely different um, a different edition of this uh, um, of this podcast, if if at all. Um, the, the the future, as you say, is um, uncertain. I mean, I think what's very striking about the conversation we've had is the um, extent to which people ha- aren't really on top of the past. We've had a, a different kind of pattern to that, which many people think small reductions in geographical inequality over the last 20 years or so when you're looking at earnings and incomes, uh, but increases um, in inequality if you're looking at wealth and uh, education and opportunity, um, uh, as you put it. I mean, I suppose one last question is, where, where next for, for, for policy in these uh, in these uncertain times? If you do want to do more to in particular bring up, um, I suppose, earnings and productivity in the areas of the country which are lagging behind, where, where would you put your money? Well, I think uh, 
one of the clear kind of takeaways I've had from the analysis we've been doing uh, for this report is that different parts of the country face really quite different challenges. So in most of the country outside of London, especially, you know, more peripheral areas of the south and east and large swathes of of the North and Midlands, Wales and uh, uh, Northern Ireland, the real issue is, you know, there's a real paucity of high productivity firms, uh, high paid jobs. Now, how do we tackle that? I think it has to uh, involve several fronts. One is efforts to improve the human capital, improve the education, improve the skills of people that live there and make these areas, you know, more attractive places for people with high skills to, to stay. You know, one of the things that is notable about my home country, Wales, is that we see an outflow of people in their 20s and 30s um, and an inflow of people in, you know, their late teenage years and in uh, in retirement and older adulthood. So some of these areas seem to be seeing quite a big outflow of young you know, highly skilled people into, say, London and the southeast of England. So by making these areas more attractive and improving the skill set, we can actually hopefully, you know, boost the foundations of productivity. Um, You mentioned earlier, you know, how do you trade off investment in education and, you know, transport infrastructure or digital infrastructure? I'm not sure how to do that. But I think one thing that also is notable uh, for some of the kind of more urban areas of the north is that cheek by jowl you have you know good jobs in central manchester which people in some areas like trafford uh, seem to access but in neighboring areas earnings are very low so maybe there is still some element of improving transport links within our regions as well as you know between the regions and london and within the southeast of england so i think there probably is still scope to improve you know transport to increase the ease of commuting, especially in some of the poorer parts of our regions. So skills and uh, transport and, um, you know, potentially some role for, you know, business support and business development um, uh, in these in these regions as well. I think that means that we need to ignore the problems that are, are there in London as well. London doesn't have the same issue with high paid jobs and high, you know, lack of skills and lack of education. But there still is a, a huge issue of very high housing costs, which are dragging down median incomes and especially dragging down the incomes of people in, in poverty. So I think there still is a need to continue to focus on improving the affordability of housing in London and its surroundings. So, you know, whilst levelling up, you know, the North and the Midlands, focusing on the, the real issues they face there on productivity, uh, earnings and education, don't forget the issues on, on housing uh, in the southeast of England and London in particular. Really important that. I mean, we can, whenever we talk about one type of inequality, whether it be between generations or between rich and poor or between ethnic minorities or between geographies, it's important that we don't forget all of the other inequalities that matter. And the inequalities in London and in the Southeast are very big indeed. And as you say, if you're looking at levelling up, there's clearly no one silver bullet. There are lots of things that one needs to do around skills and education and infrastructure and housing and all sorts of other things. There's no single bullet and we're looking at a, a, th- a change if it's to occur which will take a generation and more although the scale of course of the COVID-19 hit is so huge that it could have 
in one direction or another more impact than anything else that's been done by government or from outside government in in many generations. But I think on that note, it's probably um, time to come to the end of this uh, edition of the IFS Zooms In, a fascinating conversation, I'm sure you'll agree. What you've heard is a description of just a small part of the huge amount of work we've been doing on inequality at the IFS, um, much of it as part of the Deaton uh, Review of Inequality, funded by the Nuffield Foundation, which is looking at inequalities of all kinds uh, across the UK uh, and more broadly. So do come to the IFS website to look at uh, more of that work and keep an eye on uh, eye on our outputs over the uh, coming months. But uh, to conclude, just to say, if you did enjoy this episode, please hit subscribe and rate us. And you can always stay on top of our latest work by visiting www.ifs.org.uk. Stay well, and we look forward to speaking to you again soon.